Um, I, man, every week, uh, the energy in the room and just, you know, we're, we're full. We're really full. So, but even though we're super full, what never ceases to amaze me is how the front row is always empty. Um, so, like, seriously, if you're looking for a seat, there always is a seat in the front row. In addition to that, we do have a little bit more room in the first service, uh, too, um, and then be praying for us. We're actually, uh, summertime, um, we're, we're looking to go back outside, so you guys looking forward to that? Did you guys enjoy outdoor services? Okay. We'll do it again, then. Um, it's a little bit more work for us, but, uh, it'll be good, and then, of course, it'll help a few others feel more comfortable. In fact, um, I got in touch with someone this week. Uh, for those who are online and they're, they're kind of waiting for just certain things, uh, certain boxes to be checked before they come back, we're going to be installing in our buildings um, a, a special unit that, that kills 99% of all viruses and what have you. So we're going to put that in just to, to help others feel comfortable. I know many of you, uh, probably <laughs> you're here, so you don't really care. But um, <laughs> we do love others as well that are concerned and more vulnerable. So... Um, Couple things. One is uh, we've had we've had a busy uh, few months. Um, we're going to continue to be busy up until Easter. Um, we just had a great seminar yesterday and Friday. Uh, we had Matt Manzari who was with us. Uh, how many of you had an opportunity to come on Wednesday night? It was amazing service. Yep. Um, and then he preached for me last week. If you hadn't had a ch- have not had a chance to hear him. Uh, on our YouTube channel, if you subscribe to our channel, that helps us out. But on that channel is uh, the, uh, the message that he preached last week. Uh, so tune into that. It's an incredible message. I think you'll be uh, greatly blessed by that message. Uh, and then um, we have coming up, if you'll put up the parenting seminar for me, uh, Dan, we've got a parenting seminar. If you are a parent or you're looking to parent or you're looking to tell parents how to parent, <laughs> we want to encourage you to come to uh, the seminar. Um, it's going to be great. We're bringing in uh, Robert Dodson from Faith Bible Church down in Marietta. He's an awesome guy. And uh, in fact, John uh, Drollinger, who put me in touch uh, with him, let me know uh, that really this is going to be for anybody. We're inviting all our young people. We'd love, seriously, we'd love to have anybody come that's interested if you're going to have kids down the road and stuff. It's going to be a great uh, time. We're catering uh, breakfast as well as lunch. I think we're doing uh, Full Belly Deli for lunch again like we did for our marriage seminar. And um, we need you to sign up so we know how many sandwiches to get and what have you. So please uh, go to the info booth to my right and sign up for uh, the class so we know how many people are coming. Uh, And then if you want to put up the picture of Travis, Travis is here this morning. He's going to share briefly. This is his family. If you don't, if you're new to the church, maybe you haven't met Travis yet. Uh, Travis and I went to high school together. We got into trouble in college together. Uh, and and then we went to the same school of ministry together, and then we both kind of went in different directions. I ended up being a pastor. Now, he's in Mexico with So Ministries, which is the ministry that he founded, he and his wife, and they are literally in the business of serving orphans and widows, and they're starting their own orphanage. Uh, a couple years ago, my wife and I stood on the piece of land that you'll see here in a minute, a minute prayed over that land, that that land would be used to open up buildings and, and a facility that would cater to taking care of kids who are orphaned, especially babies. And so would you welcome Travis Owen as he comes up and shares an update with us. Um, is Derek in the room in here somewhere? Is Derek in here? You stand up for a minute, Derek. We're not brothers. 
but we all come from the same Viking clan, okay? <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> the first service I made fun of Jesse, and then I was immediately convicted, so I'm going to try not to, um, but it's great to be here. It's great to see so many familiar faces. Um, we're excited to give an update and a progress report, so to speak, on your guys' fruit from your prayers, your giving, your faithfulness, um, and your desire just to come alongside our heart to serve orphans and widows. Um, as you can see here, my family, my son, Kyler who's determined to be taller than me and uh, beat me up any chance he can. He's 16. My wife, Amber, and our daughter, Lexi, and they're in Mexico taking care of the property, multiple animals, puppies, cats, bunnies, and we actually have a missionary family there building a chicken coop this week, so we'll have chickens soon. Um, so we're completely off-grid, and um, we're going to do, my wife put together a great update because I know many of you are visual and you'll want to see pictures and, and see the progress of the property. Um, so I wanted to share a little bit for those that don't know me or maybe are new to, to hearing about our ministry is um, kind of how we started. So nine years ago, God called me out of the corporate business world and called our family to go and serve. And the verse that was put on our heart repeatedly was James 1.27 um, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God the Father is this, to care for and visit orphans and widows in their distress. Um, and if you were here last time when I spoke, broke down that um, the word care or to visit in the Greek actually means to pastor. And it's, it's got a much deeper meaning and it really means to be engaged and to really help the vulnerable. And um, I've thought about it through this year, this crazy season that we've all gone through, um, the word essential has been tossed around a lot, and we've all probably are sick of hearing about it. But um, for God, orphans and widows and the vulnerable are essential. And our ministry is determined and focused on glorifying Jesus through serving them. And, um, and we're blessed to do it, and we do it in two different ways. Um, when we started, we just started coming alongside existing orphanages. So we work with five that have between 20 to 35 children. Um, none of them have babies, and so I'll, I'll speak to that in a minute, but um, it's, it's, it's people, it's Christians that are, have the same heart as us that said, hey, we're going to take care of kids the best that we can, and everything we can do by faith to take care of these vulnerable kids that have been through horrible situations. Um, so we started just coming alongside them. How can we best serve? How can we help them take care of these kids? And um, we've learned a lot throughout the years just serving and picking their brain, best practices, things that they've learned. And um, God put it on our heart a couple years ago to really meet another need, which was babies and infants um, who had really no place to go. When they're removed from the family, they're put into like a holding center house where, if you can imagine, um, multiple cribs of babies and not being cared for and very poor quality of care. Um, until they're reunited or adopted um, within Mexico, they stay there. And so we started looking into that and, you know, why? And the biggest reason was because of the increased cost for staffing, for housing, all the requirements that the social services there has. And uh, God put on our heart that, hey, that's the next thing for us to tackle. And so we started praying and um, looking for property. And in Mexico, that's, that's always an adventure. Um, but God really blessed us with this amazing piece of property. If you can pull up the, the next picture, 
So this is two years ago. It's four and a half acres. This was with um, the SBC youth team. They actually did some drone footage. So the property came with a well that's at the bottom near these trees. And uh, there's the Yukon right there, our vehicle. And then up at the top, there's a big water storage container that's basically a giant swimming pool. Um, so we use that to gravity feed water back down to the rest of the property. And then there was a small beat up house that we have gotten rid of. And we actually bought a mobile home in Rosarito and put our house there. So that's where we live. And um, check out this short video and you'll see some of the top highlights that we've been, been working on over the past year and a half. In July of 2019, we purchased the property for the Blessing Children's Home. Our first project on the property was to secure and stabilize our well. We hired a local crew to dig the well two feet deeper to ensure that we will have sufficient water for our entire project. Next, we bought a fixer-upper. Our mobile home was delivered to the property and we quickly got to work, painting, installing flooring, and skirting the house. At the same time, we had the local crew building a three-chamber septic system that services both our house and will service the future dorms for missionary housing. The final component to making our house functional was our solar system. This is such a blessing. There's no power in our community, so this allows us to live completely off-grid with all the comforts of modern technology, which helps us keep our mission moving forward. We next had a missions team from Placerville, California, come and build our deck. They also added on Kyler's bedroom. If any of you are parents to teenagers, you know how important personal space can be to a 16-year-old boy. Next, COVID hit and the world went into lockdown. We began delivering life-sustaining groceries and supplies to the orphanages we serve on a bi-weekly basis, allowing everyone to shelter in place and stay safe. We also worked with our local church who provided a work crew to help us fence the entire property. In all 4.5 acres being completely enclosed, they installed over 250 fence posts. That's a lot of work. They continued to help us when our missions team from Northern California returned to help us build a roof on our water pila. The water pila is our storage container that holds all of the water for the future orphanage and our house, 55,000 gallons of water. They also installed gutters on our house, helped us with our roofing project and planted our raised bed gardens. We continued to deliver groceries and supplies to the orphanages, and this year we tackled distance learning. Yes, in Mexico, the orphanages are distance learning as well. We provided Chromebooks to the orphanages, and we believe that education is key to helping and end the cycle of poverty. We also had a full circle moment when the women of one of the ministries we partner with, a women's rehab, came to paint our house for us. It was such a blessing for them to come and serve after we've been serving with them for six years. It also warmed our hearts to see the women working at the land. They can't wait to come back. Finally, it was Christmas. We put on five Christmas parties complete with food, games, crafts, and personalized presents. It was extra special having the girls orphanage from Mexicali come to the property and celebrate. They were the first kids spending the entire day on the land. The new year brought more projects 
and crews of heavy construction equipment on the land. They began compacting and raising up the foundation of the baby house, and all in all, they moved over 150 dump trucks of dirt. We had our friends Jim and Paul back to build the bathrooms for outdoors. We now have two fully functioning bathrooms complete with a sink and septic system for our visitors and workers to use. We are in awe of watching God's plan come to fruition. As the property transforms, we realize that this is the beginning of the transformation, just as we know that God will transform the lives of the future children of the Blessing Children's Home. We thank you so much for your partnership and pray God's every blessing over you. Will you join us in helping the vulnerable thrive? Praise God. So when we started, we had no idea that we would ever be embarking on something like this, um, let alone leading construction teams, um, working through, you know, that is one thing when you don't have the background, but it's also another thing working in Mexico with construction teams and trying to translate. Um, so we definitely can use your continued prayers, um, but we are blessed with a, a very good architect who put together our plans, his team of four that work with us Monday through Friday, and then four guys from the local church um, that are also helping us. So we have an eight-man crew right now, um, but we're also welcome to mission teams that want to come down, um, probably smaller groups, but people that want to help and build and do construction. Um, I know some people have mentioned that, so we're, we're open to that, and, and we'll help you plan out your trip. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention briefly, and I know Jesse's going to share some more, if, if you don't follow us or have information um, and you want to, we have a, a Get Involved card, and it really just has the ways to stay connected with us, whatever social media you're on, if you want our website, if you want to email me and, and say something about Jesse or you want dirt on him, that's my, my email's on there. Um, there's a fee for that, but um, we will keep that confidential. But um, thank you so much um, for your, your continued prayers and support. We're working hard, and um, we're blessed to do it, and our family just is is amazingly grateful for the support that Sierra Bible Church has had. And uh, just God bless you. Um, so we've been uh, committed to um, supporting Travis and his family for a few years now. In fact, uh, recently our church raised over $20,000 for them to complete some of the projects up there. Uh, so thank you for participating in that. And what we're going to do between now and Easter is on the wall on my left out here across from the coffee shop to your right is we've placed um, the first, well, not the first step, but really the first step to getting babies in is to build the baby house. That's what part of the foundation you saw there. Um, Deef, it's called Deef, right? They say it right? Uh, they're like, like the Mexican CPS, uh, the Hispanic CPS down there. Um, they've already told Travis, you need to get this up because we want to give you babies now. Uh, and so that's the first thing that they need to get done. So what we've done is we thought, okay, hey, between now and Easter, let's just try to raise the funds to build a baby house. And so out there you'll see boxes, everything from if you want to buy drywall, check the box, you get to purchase some drywall. If you want to uh, purchase some nails, 10 bucks for some nails, you can purchase some nails. So there's some larger items on there, there's some smaller items. And we're asking you to do this above and beyond your normal giving, uh, in part because we've raised a lot of funds for a lot of other ministries, and we're starting to drain our general budget a little bit. Uh, and so we want to do that all the way through Easter, and the hope is, you know, we'll just see what happens between now uh, and Easter. So stop by there, write on your, your offering that is for so ministries, uh, and we'll make sure that 100% of those funds 
go to Travis and Stowe Ministries to take care of orphans and widows uh, down there in Mexico. Pretty cool, huh? Good, thank you. Um, turn to Proverbs chapter 1 and go to verse 20. So we're going to be uh, topical this morning uh, out of Proverbs, and then, um, and then we're going to start uh, the book of Habakkuk uh, next week. So we'll dive into that. And then we have in the bookstore these books. They're ESV study journals if you want them uh, for Jonah, Micah, Nahum, uh, and Habakkuk, and you can, you can buy these in the bookstore, and you can journal in there and all that if you want to. Uh, if you have the ability this morning, would you stand with me as we honor uh, the reading of Scripture and, and um, we dive in? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 through 22. Wisdom. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Lord, I pray this morning that you would minister to us in a unique and beautiful way. Bring us beyond ourselves and more into your personal being, to know you, to walk with you, to love you, and to live well. In Jesus' name, the church said, you may be seated. Um, so the title of the message this morning is, is Gospel Foolishness. And so what I want to do uh, this morning is, one is I want to talk about what it, what it looks like to be a fool and what it looks like to be wise, or another way to say it, what, it, what does it look like to, to fix the problem of foolishness? Uh, scripture actually says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15, it says that folly or foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Right? It, anyone who has been a parent, you know this to be a reality, that kids naturally do not have wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, but typically, uh, I, you know, on a Sunday, I try to share something about my life that will pertain to the topic or pertain to the passage, and, and I feel like I, I've kind of shared enough of my own foolishness for you this morning uh, that, that really I don't really have too many examples for you. Uh, as Travis mentioned, because uh, Travis wasn't a Christian in high school. He became a Christian. We got into, when I say we got into trouble together, like that's a real thing. We did some very stupid things together, some very foolish things together. Uh, and so I have, for as much as he has to share about me, I have just as much to share about him. And, uh, and so we, we kind of have a silent agreement to just not speak of such things, right? We're just not going to go there. Uh, so, but what about you? I mean, has there been a moment in your life where you've done something foolish or regrettable that you wish you haven't done? Maybe it was recently. Maybe it's been in the last few months. Maybe it was today, right? Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, was this a good idea? Like, we, we've all at times done things that are foolish. Now, what's interesting about this in contrast to wisdom is that we live in a day and age really where knowledge and, and the acquisition of facts and statistics are at our fingertips, like, we're drowning as a culture in knowledge. But if you don't know something, you can Google it in a matter of moments. If you disagree with something that I've stated, you can find something on Google that will agree with you that disagrees with me. You can find anything on Google. How many of you have needed to do a project around the house and you just YouTubed it? Right? And then you find out, I shouldn't have done it that way. Have you done that? I have. But it, we're drowning in knowledge. But for all of the knowledge that we have, 
for all of the ability of the statistics that we can possess and the things that we could say or find that will back up our particular arguments, we are utterly lacking in wisdom. Utterly lacking in wisdom. We're filled with knowledgeable, educated fools. Plain and simple. So what is wisdom? We understand that, that foolishness, we're going to get into that here in a moment, We'll, we'll dive into that here more in a moment. But what is wisdom? One of the ways that, that when I've studied Proverbs or I've taught Proverbs in the past from the book of Proverbs is, is try to explain that living, it's living with, with wisdom, it's living poetically, it's living skillfully. Basically, Proverbs is the teaching of, of is your life lived poetically? Is there poetry to your life? Is there skill in the way that you live? Right? If you study Proverbs, the author of Proverbs, which there's a few, but the authors of Proverbs assume two things. There's two things that are assumed when you read the book of Proverbs uh, from the point of the individuals that wrote it. Number one, it assumes that you understand that the world is a broken place. It assumes that you know that we live in a fallen world, right? You've experienced this fallenness. You, you've experienced the foolishness of the world at times. You had to have. You've experienced pain. You've experienced death. It assumes that you know that. It also assumes that you know that there's a God and that God is sovereign over all. And that in the midst of the brokenness, God is still in control, right? Uh, the, the Bible actually says within Proverbs, you, you'll know this to be true, it says that the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The Bible tells us that good things happen to bad people because we live in a broken world. The Bible also tells us that bad things happen to good people. And, and, and the response that we have to that reality will prove whether we're living foolishly, skillfully, poetically, or whether we're living uh, in a way that, that is counterintuitive to a good, well-lived life. Ultimately, being a fool is not living well. It's not living well. It's not getting the most out of life, right? You, you uh, heard of Matt Manzari, right? If you, if you listened to him and you saw his story and what he went through, here's a guy who experienced great pain, great tragedy, right? Remember, he, he literally crushed his face while wake skating, healed, was getting ready to enter into the ministry, and then was at his church trimming trees and was electrocuted. Here's a guy who was doing good, a good thing, and ended up getting hurt. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. The question is, how do you live in that? And I think if you've heard Matt's story, you would say, Matt has lived with wisdom. He, there's a poetry to his life. There's a poetry into the way in which he lives that will be remembered and echo into eternity. So wisdom is the skill of living. Uh, one author says, Trimper Longman, he says, the skill of living it is a practical knowledge, practical knowledge that helps one know how to act, how to speak in different situations. Wisdom entails the ability to avoid problems and the skill to handle them when they present themselves. Wisdom also includes the ability to interpret other people's speech and writing in order to react correctly to what they are saying to us. Wisdom is not intelligence, pure and simple, but biblical wisdom is much closer to the idea of emotional intelligence than intelligence quotient. Wisdom is a skill, a knowing how, 
It is not raw intellect a knowing that. Right? Wisdom gives us the ability to respond appropriately to the situation that is given to us. Right? And being a fool is responding in a way that is not. We're going to define that here in a little bit. Uh, but I, I, on occasion, I like to find definitions for words on Urban Dictionary. Anybody know what Urban Dictionary is? It's not the best place to get your real, but, but sometimes they're kind of fun. So I, I decided to look up what is a fool on Urban Dictionary, and I, I found this. So the definition that Urban Dictionary gives for a foolish person is a clumsy or stupid person who is pitied by Mr. T. Right? Mr. T pities the fool. And if you don't know who Mr. T is, I feel sorry for you. You grew up in the wrong generation. This guy, this guy is the man, okay? He pities the fool. <clears throat> now, there's, there's two categories of fools. And then we'll define, we'll define the, the, the definitions of different fools, but two major categories that all fools will fall into, okay? There's two categories. One category is the conservative fool. Or another way to say it is the religious fool. The other category is the, re- is the liberal fool, or another way to say that is a rebellious fool. Let me define the two of you for, you, uh, for you for a moment. A religious fool is a person who says there's a pattern to life, there's a pattern in life, and if I do all of the right things, things will go right. That's a religious fool. A religious fool basically enters into a relationship with God. It may be Christianity, a false Christianity. It may be another religion, but, but it's essentially all the same message, which is this. God, I'm going to do all of the right things. I'm going to check all of the right boxes. And Lord, if I, if I do those things, then there's an expectation. It may even be subconscious. And that expectation is that things will go well for me, right? And then when something doesn't go well, the first response we have is, God, how could you do this to me? Right? Just so you know, that is a foolish statement to say, God, how could you do this? That is the uttering of a fool, right? Because fools, fools, they acknowledge that there is a God and they acknowledge that they, I'm sorry, people who are fools acknowledge there's a God and that, and that bad things still happen, right? The question is, how do you respond to them? Religious fools enter into that transaction relationship, and, and we're constantly trying to preach against that transaction relationship, constantly trying to teach against that transaction relationship, right? When you come to Christianity, when you become a Christian, you're coming not because of what God can do for you, but because God has already done for you. All that is necessary. You have everything that you need within salvation. And then the other kind of fool is the rebellious or liberal fool who says there is no pattern to life. I'm going to do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. There's no rules. There's no patterns, right? I can do what I want with my body. doesn't matter. I can choose if I want to be a male or if I want to be a female. There's no rules any longer. See, see the Bible actually says it's not rules for rules' sake. It's, it's guidelines and guideposts for the thriving of humanity, right? You've heard me say this before. A fish is only free in the water, if you take that fish out of its confines and you place it on the dock, it dies. It will not thrive. And likewise, spiritually, God has said, listen, you're not just a physical person. You're also a spiritual person. 
And if you do certain things in a spiritual way, you'll thrive as a human being. And if you refuse those things, you won't thrive. There won't be poetry to your life. There'll be brokenness in your life, okay? Let me give you an example. And <clears throat> there should be this kind of gold standard, right, within the church. And that gold standard is a guy who loves Jesus, right? It's, it's a dude that loves the Lord. And man, he gets the gospel. He, he knows that he's saved by grace. And, and he's in love with Christ. And he's in love with Christ because he knows that Christ has forgiven him of all of his foolishness. I mean, the fact that Travis and I can, can be buddies and friends after all of the stupid things we've done together is evidence of a gracious and loving God. I mean, it is. And, and I know he loves Jesus. That's why he loves orphans, because Jesus loves orphans. And so the heart of God permeates within this guy, and then this guy, at some point in his wisdom, should say, okay, what does God say about marriage? What does God say about how to handle my body? What does God say one day about parenting? And he becomes radically committed to loving Jesus and living life the way that Jesus has called him to live it so that he can do well. Right? And then, hopefully, you have on the other side a woman who's in love with Jesus. She knows that she is considered the bride of Christ. That is her identity. And in her wisdom, she says, you know what? I'm not going to compromise in being in a relationship outside of somebody who might know Jesus. Right? So you have a man who says, I'm going to I want my marriage to reflect the glory of God. You have a woman that says, I want my marriage to reflect the glory of God. And inevitably, this is what happens when sin enters in the scene. This is very typical, right? There, I've heard young ladies in our church say this, for instance. And, and <clears throat> we have in our church, just so you know, we've got some single young women who are beautiful and who love Jesus. And all the single ladies say, Hi. And I've heard some of those young girls say, where are the men who will pursue me as Christ pursued me? Where are the men who will open the door for me? Where are the men that will lay their life down for me? I, I can't find a good single guy. And then the guys over here going, well, I, uh, this is Xbox. And if you understand the gospel, guys, if you understand, you, you say, not because you're sexist, but because you love Christ, you say, I want to lead in my home, and that leadership means in wisdom that I'm going to lay my life down for a woman one day. I'm going to be willing to die for her. I'm going to sacrifice my life for her. I'm going to do anything that I can to learn and to grow in humility and grace so that my marriage will reflect the life of Jesus. And then marriage is, is tough. I mean, the Bible literally says, if you get married, you will have trouble. That's an actual Bible verse. And the Bible also says something about singlehood, though. It says that, that if you're single, you are valuable to the church. The Bible says some people will be given the gift of singleness and that they'll have a central focus on the gospel. So I don't elevate marriage just for marriage's sake over singlehood. Some of us have to understand that when we're single, we can do some really radical things for Jesus. That's living poetically. 
And then on occasion, because we're broken and we live in a broken world, sometimes we get into marriages that aren't exactly the marriages that we thought they would be. Right? Have you ever heard the saying, I've heard one pastor say it this way, if you married the right person, just wait a little while. Or another way to say it is that, that I've heard it said is you never marry the right person. It may seem, <laughs> just this guy, he, you're single, aren't you? <clears throat> now that statement, as sad as it may seem, is more liberating than you could ever think or imagine. It's liberating because then you understand, and I can tell you, I've been married for almost 17 years. You don't have to clap for me. <laughs> 17 years, and in 17 years, the secret of our marriage being successful, the secret of our intimacy being as strong as it ever has been, the, the secret of us still loving each other and working it through with one another, that secret is that I understand that all of my affection, all of my love, all of my self-worth, all of my value cannot come from my wife. It comes from Christ. My wife is not God. She can't fulfill that. She can't give that to me. And my wife knows that she can't give that to me, and she knows I can't give that to her. See, I've been liberated in my marriage because of the gospel of having to fill all of my wife's needs because I am incapable of filling all of my wife's needs. But then every now and then, I wake up in the morning because, again, we live in a fallen world, and my wife will be there to greet me, and she'll say, you're not loving me like Jesus. And I'll say, that's because I'm not Jesus. <laughs> and then we work through it. Because I know that with inside of her is sin, and I know with inside of me is sin, but at the same time we know that we're loved and that we're capable of great things, and then grace permeates in our marriage. That's wisdom. That's living poetically. That's living through hardship. That's living through difficulty. Because of the grace of God, because of his grace, we're empowered to love each other even though we know that we're all ultimately fools. See, my wife knows that I'm ultimately a fool and I need Jesus. And I know that my wife is ultimately a fool and she needs Jesus. And that allows us to love each other as best as we can, but still accept the imperfect, imperfection in our love for one another. You see, it's not about, not in that transaction of, God, I did all the right things to marry the right woman. God, I did all the right things to marry the, the right man. God, I'm doing all the right things to make sure that my kids are going to follow you. No, it's, it's brokenness. And it's living poetically in that brokenness that God can rise above it. Now, whether you're a conservative fool or you're, you're a liberal fool, there's, there's kind of different fools that play out underneath those, those major headings. Let, let's talk about them. There's... There's three types in the text we just read. There's a variety of fools, right? You remember these guys? <laughs> I feel like some of you don't know who they are, and that's okay. <laughs> I know who they are. I think it's funny. That's what I mean. Variety of fools. So in, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, it gave us three. Three different types of fools in the book of Proverbs. The first one are, is what he says, simple ones. How long will you be simple? The simple-minded, according to, to the biblical definition, if you start to open it up in regards to this particular uh, word, is those who are open-minded. They're too open-minded. They believe everything. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15. The simple believes everything. 
right? But the prudent, uh, they give thought to his steps. The simple, uh, you know you're being simple-minded when you're scrolling through Facebook and you just accept all of the headings is true. You, you know you're being simple-minded if you get all of your news only from Fox or only from CNN. That's, that's simple-minded thinking. You, you know you're being a fool when you read, read the heading and you don't dive in to find out what it really means. Okay, that's why we need the word of God so we're not gullible. Because the simple-minded, they, they act like children. They, they tend to lean towards the dramatic or the emotional, the spectacular. The simple-minded jump from church to church trying to find their own needs met. That, that it's emotionally driven. Make me feel a certain way. Don't talk about hard things. Make sure that, that you're giving me a message that I like. Make sure the kids' program is the way that, that I like to see it. Make sure the worship is a particular way. We, we all have preferences, don't we? And if we make life about our preferences, we're being simple. Right? One of the things that Brad tries to do the best job that he can, along with all the other members of worship, is to try to give you the best worship that we possibly can. But guess what? You guys have a, tr- a very wide array of things you like. Some of you are like, I could use a little bit more country flair. Some of you, when a song comes on and it's, it's a little more rock, you know, you're like, oh. right? A hearty amen at Sierra Bible Church. Sometimes we're talking about this is a amen. I've enjoyed some of the new folks that are coming to the church. They're like, amen. I mentioned a quote the other day, and Caleb was like, boom. Right? It's okay to have that. I really enjoy electric guitar. I'm thankful for Alexander this morning who, who rocked out with his electric guitar with us this morning. Aren't you? I, I liked it. See? Thirteen of you like electric guitar. Ten of you are like, where's the organ? Where's the choir? Meet my needs. Yeah. Right? That's simple-mindedness. Because ultimately, we know that, that Sunday service isn't necessarily, it's not about the music. It's, it's about being in the presence of other believers under the presence of Christ. Right? We're, we're in the presence of God. And we have the presence of God everywhere we go. But something happens when we're doing it as a body of believers. There's something beautiful that happens in the room when we're gathered together and we're worshiping the Lord. So the simple-minded, driven by emotion, filled with a dramatic flair, kind of like children. But then there's the scoffers. The scoffers are almost like a, a direct contrast to the simple ones. Scoffers tend to be arrogant. They, they actually don't look like fools in the world because they tend to be successful. Because a scoffer tends to use resources and people for success. Scoffers tend to, tend to find a way in life to make sure that everything works out for them. They're, they're all about the transaction relationship, but it's always one way. I'm in a relationship with you as long as you meet my particular needs, and when you don't, I'm going to move on to the next transaction and to the next relationship. They always sacrifice relationships to get ahead. And then you have the fools. Just the plain, not, not the simple ones, not the scoffers, but in that proverb, Chapter 1, those who are just fools, closed-minded. They're just closed off to everything. They refuse to listen to anything, and they shrug off all criticism. Where simple ones are crushed by criticism, fools just don't want to listen to criticism at all. They just, they just brush it off. Proverbs 15.5 says, a fool despises his father's instruction. Just doesn't want to learn, doesn't want to go through it. Let me give you a couple. I have scripture for all this, but I don't want to spend all of our time just reading all of these verses. So I'm just going to tell you some things 
from Proverbs, which is trying to help guide us to live a poetic life from Proverbs uh, that, that entails us being fools. This is, these are some markers of foolish people uh, from Proverbs. Ultimately, they don't believe in God. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. It also tells us, in addition to that, that foolish people like to sleep too much. What time do you get up in the morning? You might be a fool. <laughs> fools are not ambitious in learning. Fools don't give, the, I'm sorry, fools don't seek counsel. Fools tend to choose bad relationships, which I just spoke on quite uh, for, for a minute there. Fools hate rebuke. They only want encouragement. Fools take too many reckless risks. Fools tend to be proud. Fools don't plan ahead. Fools don't have self-control, but they're led by anger and emotion. Fools are always wise in their own eyes. I like this one. Fools talk too much. Someone with a lot of words, stupidity is not far behind, which is strange for me to say that while I'm speaking so much. (laughs) Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. I use this verse with my kids often. (laughs) Fools don't listen. Fools tend to be very stubborn. And ultimately, Proverbs tells us that foolishness brings death, ruin, shame, dishonor, and violence. It makes chaos out of our lives. I've counseled long enough to know that, that, that people tend to tend to not want to learn, tend not to want to grow, tend to, to, to really want you to agree with them. Uh, doing counseling over the last however many years that I've done it, uh, Wayne can attest to this. Oftentimes someone will come into the office and, and they'll say, hey, this is what I'm going through and, and, and this is what I'm doing and, and, and this, is, this is what I want to do. What do you think? And my thoughts will be the complete opposite. I mean, I've had individuals come in and say, hey, listen, you know, I want to be in a relationship. This person, I know I'm a Christian. This person's not a Christian. We're thinking about moving in together. We think that would be a good move for us because we need to save some money. It's expensive to live in Truckee. And they're just justifying all of the reasons why they need to move in together, why they need to be able to be in a relationship together. And, and you know, I, know it's, I know the Bible says we're not supposed to be unequally yoked, but, you know, I, I, I kind of I think I can do it my own way. And then I just look and I look at them and I listen and I listen and I listen. And then I just say, you're a fool. I say that so you won't come for counseling. And then, <laughs> then when I say that, they go to Wayne's office and then they tell Wayne the same story because they want Wayne to affirm. They want someone just to tell them, it's okay to make a ruin of your life. It's okay to make a foolish choice, it's, right? Because in our world, there's no such thing as truth anymore. Do what you want. Like, what is true? I mean, that's ultimately Nero's words that Jesus comes and says, I am the truth. I'm sorry, not Nero, um, Pilate. And Pilate says, what is truth? Right? Pilate didn't know what was true then, and it made a mess of things. And ultimately what came out of the mess of things, because Jesus works on the mess of things, is the cross. And then the cross led to his resurrection, which led to our forgiveness of sins. Right? And, and here we are in the same culture, the same day. It's repeating. History repeats itself. What is true? Is the vaccine going to work? Is it not going to work? Is coronavirus as bad as they say it is? Are people dying everywhere? What is true? Is it okay to choose your gender? Is it okay to get in a relationship with whoever you want? Can I use drugs? It's legal now. I mean, what's true? Who's to tell me what's true? 
And what happens is we end up in a world filled with foolishness, filled with pain, filled with anxiety. I mean, the the statistics are there. At what point does the culture realize we're more depressed, more filled with anxiety, meds and depression, meds than we ever have been, more self-ruined, more more suicides than ever before. At what point do we say, the world obviously doesn't have the answers to wisdom? At what point do we obviously say, the culture just doesn't get it? Right? When, someone, when people have come to me and been how, how, how is don't you think it's foolish to be gathering together inside of a church that you might hurt people? I go, you think I'm actually taking my advice from the culture? Like they've somehow got it together? I think not. <clears throat> See, the Bible tells us how to avoid foolishness. I mean, there's a whole book in the Bible just on being dumb (laughs) and how to not be dumb. And it's Proverbs. I would tell you to make, make it a habit to read a proverb every day of the month. There's 31 of them. It's an easy, easy task to tackle. So how do we end up finding our way out of foolishness and into wisdom? Well, the first one, as Proverbs tells us, is the beginning of wisdom is, for those of you who are Bible scholars, you know, it's what? It's the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says, is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. You know why this is interesting? Because relationship always precedes ethics. The fear of the Lord, the relationship happens, and then our ethics come after the relationship with God. Proverbs 22, verse 15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, right? Right? As children, we know that. And this is, here's the thing. When we read verses, it's easy for us to be like, oh, yeah, that's true. I've been around my three-year-old niece. She's definitely foolish. But we're called children of God. When Proverbs 22, 15 says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, he's talking about you all. Like, that's bound up in us. And the call to the fear of the Lord is to enter, and this is my first point of fixing foolishness. Point number one is to enter into a parental relationship with Jesus Christ. Make God your father. And there's two tensions. You can tell I love tensions. It's just, I like to move between the pulpit over here and here, right? Two tensions. Tension number one is the father, right? I'm a father of four. Nothing brings me more joy than my kids feeling completely free to jump on my lap at any moment. Right, my kids know they've got access to dad. I'm trying to live poetically as a parent. You have access to me. Jump on my lap, jump on my back, hug me, kiss me. Man, my, and my kids do all of those things. They, they're, to be honest, they're a little too comfortable. But I, I, last night, my little, my, my little daughter came up. Can I sit on your lap? I'm scared. She was in bed. Yeah, I jumped up, cuddled next to her. Right, that's one side of a good parental relationship. You know that you have complete access to the father. The other side of the relationship, when it says folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives folly out from the child. And one side, my children should feel a complete comfort to jump in my lap, but there should also be a healthy fear of wronging me. A healthy fear that it's not okay to live a life of destruction. But just yesterday or two days ago, I had to pull one of my sons off to the side. And I had to be really stern with him about an issue that has been repetitive in his life. And he's young. But he doesn't know, right? He's a kid. But he needed needed that to be a stern moment. The right response 
was that for there to be sternness. And with almost tears in my eyes, I had to look at my son and say, son, I would be a bad father if I didn't correct you. And if I allowed you to live life this way, I would not be a good dad. I'm disciplining you because I love you. And I want you to have a good life. Sometimes God disciplines his children. Not just because he thinks we're dumb, but because he knows we need his guidance. So step one, we enter into a relationship with the Lord where we allow God to, to be accessible to us. You have complete access to Jesus. And where at times you allow him to discipline you. And then once we enter that relationship, just as I hope my children would be, we, this is number two, we, we fix foolishness with radical obedience to the Lord. Radical obedience to God. Matthew chapter 8, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 24 says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Right? And you've heard the words now. You're, you're hearing words from the word. You now have an obligation since you've heard them to be like the wise man who builds his house, his life, the poetry of his life on the rock that is Jesus. And then it tells us what's going to come, right? The, the rain and, and the floods and the winds are going to beat on the house. But it's not going to fall because it was built on the rock. And that rock is speaking of Jesus himself, the word of God. And then verse 26, in contrast, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, it beat against the house, and it fell. And it was a great fall. Right? The words have to be shared for the congregation. The words have to be shared for our children and for ourselves that we would build our lives on the perfect relationship, the perfect parental relationship of Jesus Christ, and we would be radical to that so that, the, that humankind would flourish, that your marriage will flourish. A radical obedience to God's word. And then here's my last point in fixing foolishness. The last one's an interesting one because it seems to be antithetical to everything I've just said. To fix foolishness, we need to become foolish. Proverbs actually says, the way to wisdom is to admit you're a fool. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, let no one deceive himself. Is anyone among you think that he is wise in this age? Let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Proverbs goes on and says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? Right, the message that we proclaim on a Sunday, we embrace as foolishness to the world. The world outside of our doors will tell you how can you believe the stuff that's in the Bible? The wisdom of the world will say, how can you be in a relationship with God? Christianity is a crutch. How can you believe such things? You believe that this, this, this God came from heaven and, and as a baby and then died for you? What kind of foolishness is that? But we recognize that that foolishness 
is the foolishness of salvation. Flanner O'Connor says it like this. He gives a contrast within this little bit of poetry. God told the world he was going to send it a king, and the world waited. The world thought a golden fleece will do for his bed, silver and gold and peacock tails, a thousand sons and a peacock's tail will do for his crib. His mother will ride on a four-horned white beast and use the sunset for a cape. She'll trail it behind her over the ground and let the world pull it to pieces, a new one, every evening. But instead, Jesus came on cold straw. Jesus was warmed by the breath of an ox. Who is this, the world said? Who is this blue, cold child and this woman plain as winter? Is this the word of God, this blue, cold child? Is this his will, this plain winter woman? And the world said, love cuts like a cold wind, and the will of God is plain as the winter. See, Jesus teaches us something about the kingdom. And that, that, that message of, of wisdom is this, is we don't change the world, we don't change the culture by being in power. We don't change the world with our intellect and being smooth. It's a great comfort for me to know why I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I mean, seriously, it's the only way I can get through a Sunday is just to know that God uses weakness. You see, when Jesus planted the, 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 the reality of Christianity, the reality of salvation by grace, how did he start the kingdom of God? He started the kingdom of God with a prostitute a tax collector, a lame man, a blind man, a rejecter, a rebuker, even a Pharisee. He didn't start it and he didn't walk around Jerusalem and say, where are all the good ones? No, he found the broken ones. And then he commanded them to go into the entire world and wash the world's feet. That's discipleship making. If we're going to change the world, it's not through strength, it's not through wisdom, it's through humility. You want to change your marriage? Humility. You want to change the way that your job feels to you? Humility. You want to find joy? Humility. You want to find greater meaning in the world? Humility. Jesus uses humility, brokenness, small things to make things right. And some of you are still going to say, it just doesn't seem right. This seems so foolish. Yet here we are, thousands of miles from Jerusalem, 2,000 plus years removed from it, and we're still worshiping the same God. Because it works. When Jesus said, I'm going to reach the ends of the world, it's because he did. He did it. And we're here because of it. Amen? Would you stand with me as we pray and ask the Lord to place more wisdom upon our hearts? I'm going to close with one more proverb. I think it's a good one. Chapter 3, verse 13. It says, happy is the one. Happy is the one who finds wisdom. You know why that's really good? I think I alluded to it a little bit. It says, happy is the one who finds wisdom. Wisdom isn't just knowledge, right? It's It's a person. We're told later that Jesus is 
wisdom personified. And it says, if you want to be happy, you want to find joy, you want to find meaning, happy is the one who finds Jesus. Happy is the one who finds wisdom. Lord, may we find you this morning. Once again, renewing us for the week, strengthening us for the endeavors. Lord, the world's going to tell us this week, be strong, get through, don't show weakness. Lord, would you allow your spirit to be stronger than the world and to teach us, Lord, to be humble, gentle of spirit, and to build the kingdom with your love, peace, and wisdom. We trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.